So last week we started talking about this kind of theme that I want us to remember really this entire year, serving the one by discipling the one. I, I call this sermon series in my own head, the year of the one series. I hope for all of us as Christians, those of us who are born again believers, every time throughout this year, we write the date, <laughs> 2021. We see that one, it recalls us to require two, to answer two questions in our head or ask two questions in our head. Am I serving the one? Do I know the one, Jesus? And am I still concerned about discipling one more in his name? And so every time this year we see that one, every time you write, stand with Got it? There we go. Every time we see the one. For an entire year, every time you write that number, 2021, I pray that the one stands out to us and we remember over and over what our one task is in serving the one true Lord. So serving the one by discipling one. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what this is and kind of walk through this process. Our task, our one task that the Lord has given us, our one commandment, this commission that he's given to us is to go and make disciples. And last week we spent some time just kind of getting an idea of that big picture of what a disciple is. Um, and so today we're going to start moving forward. And how do we do this make disciples part? How do we do that? <coughs> you know, and first I just want to remind you, remember what we talked about. Disciples are those who, who sit at the feet so that they learn from their master so that they can look at it. So, so what we're actually going to do, and if you want to take your Bibles, and there's two places you can turn, Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 4. Luke chapter 6, and so kind of put a bookmark or a finger or pencil or something at Luke chapter 6, and then you can turn back to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to look at these two passages today, because this is uh, the passages are where Jesus actually calls or makes his first disciples. This is the when he comes out to make the first disciples for the first time. And we're going to kind of look at these two um, and compare them. You know, the, this is the same story uh, from two different Gospels. And so there's a little bit of a different perspective on the story as it unfolds. And as we compare these two, we're going to kind of see what Jesus did in making his disciples as he called his first disciples and use that hopefully as a blueprint for us as disciples of Christ we're going to follow his example in how he made his disciples because that is our task. So first let's read from Luke chapter 6. It says Luke chapter 6 verse 12. If you're at 6, Luke 6, look down at verse 12. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to, in God, to God. And when he came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, who was named Peter and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon who was called the Zealot and Judas the son of James and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Now you can flip back to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 4 and the 18th verse. A little bit different perspective. Luke is kind of a, a larger kind of 
like 10,000 foot view of the event, the calling of all the disciples, it gives us all their names. Matthew chapter 4 kind of hones down in into the, the very first account. Matthew 4 verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat of Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, of their father and followed him. And so I kind of want us to take a, a little bit of time and, and look at uh, these two interactions where Jesus calls his disciple and kind of gain some steps or some process for us. And if we're going to serve the one this year by discipling one, well, what's the first thing we do? So step one, step one, pray. If you look back at that, what happened in Luke chapter six, that big view, it tells us a little bit of information that doesn't tell us in Matthew that the night before Jesus went and called his disciples, the night before he comes down to the Sea of Galilee and calls Simon and Andrew and John and James for the first time, he spent the night in prayer, getting ready to start his public ministry, call his disciples to himself. And so one of the things I want to ask us to do is for the month of January, at least, pray. Pray about your role as a disciple maker. How will you serve the one by discipling one what some of the thoughts would be you know who will be my one who do you want me to the disciple lord who do you want me to bring to you where where am i supposed to to be a fisher of men and so i really want to just kind of walk through some things to pray for I, I can't exactly tell you what jesus prayed for the bible doesn't tell us and i'm sure jesus's prayer would have been a little different than our prayer but we're going to look at, at the account and look at some of the things that happened in matthew's account and come up with some uh, about four or five things that, that we can pray for as we think about how we're going to serve the one this year in 2021. Now, a quick reminder uh, about a disciple. Uh, you know, the boys, they started learning the Torah at five. By age 10, uh, they, they, the best of the students got to continue into religious education by age 10, if you weren't showing good promise, you sent back home to carry out the family business. Uh, by 17, you had finished your religious, your kind of religious training, and you would kind of go find a, a, a rabbi or somebody you wanted to study under. You'd go sit at their feet. They would ask you questions. If you passed the test, then you got to be their disciple, and you'd spend your life following that rabbi around, learning all that he did, learning all that he taught. Well, it's kind of interesting if you think about Jesus when he comes and calls us. So he spends this night praying. Then all, and according to Matthew says, so the next morning he's coming down. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon and Peter and Andrew, were casting their net for the fishermen. So what do we learn about the first disciples Jesus has called? They were not the smartest people in the bunch. They're at home fishing with their father. The, these guys, they had gone through that whole training, and by the time they reached 10, somebody said to them, Simon, you know, uh, or Simon and Andrew, you go, you, you're nice guys and stuff, but 
you don't quite cut muster. Time to go back home, start fishing. You're not making it here in school. You need to go learn how to fish. And so what we realize is that God calls the willing and not necessarily the qualified. God doesn't choose the best of the lot to serve him. He calls those who are willing to follow him. And so I think our first prayer is that we pray for willingness. I've talked to a lot of people over the years about making disciples. The number one excuse I hear, the number one reason that followers of Jesus say, well, I can't do that. I can't go talk to somebody about Jesus. I'm not able. I'm not qualified. I'm not gifted enough to do that. I, I'm not trained to do that. I'm, I'm not special like you are, like I'm special or something like that because I've stand up here on a podium or something. Make no excuse. Make, make no mistake about it. The, the excuse that I'm weak, the excuse that I'm not qualified, the excuse that I'm not smart enough to do it is absolutely an excuse. We see that here at the very beginning, Jesus called people that the other rabbis had already rejected. That the other teachers had said, Go home and learn how to be fishers because y'all aren't going to cut it in the religious world. And so Jesus is all about using people who are willing. John MacArthur says this, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were, were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. So if you're not a great teacher, if you're not a great historian, if you're not a great thinker, you are perfect for God to use. That's pretty good news for me. We just celebrated Christmas, and this is, this is constantly how God works. We just celebrated Christmas. The very first people that God comes to to announce the, the birth of the Savior and the arrival of the Christ are shepherds. Shepherds were considered the lowliest people in, in the stacking of order in that day. They were the lowliest caste. And we see the shepherds coming at Christmas as a sign that God loves the lowly. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, listen to this. Brothers, that's a word for Christians. Fellow believers, consider the time of your calling. Not many of you were wise by human standards. <laughs> Paul's writing to the church and saying, remember when you came to Christ? Y'all weren't really smart. <laughs> He's just acknowledging you weren't wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble of birth. You a bunch of common kind of not smart people is what Paul is telling the church. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly and the despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast in his presence. It is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast 
in the Lord. Yes, God's called us to do something that we aren't good at, that we're not qualified at, and we're probably not able to do. That's to prove that it comes from Him and not from us. And so if you sit here today, if you look at this, serving the one by discipling one, well, I'm out, I can't do that, I'm not able to, nope, no, uh uh-uh. You're just the person God wants to use. It's amazing. That's who He called in the beginning. God looks for those who are willing and not necessarily capable. And so as we pray, here's some things we can start to pray this month. If you'll say, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to be obedient. I'm going to try to accomplish what the Lord wants me to do. I'm willing to serve the one by discipling one. Then just pray, Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. Actually, maybe we should pray it this way. There's a story of a man who came to Jesus, wanted his son, his daughter to be healed, a child to be healed. Um, and, and Jesus says to him, if you believe, it will be done. And he says, his response is, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think maybe that should be our prayer, just kind of change a little bit. Lord, I'm willing, help my unwillingness. Because if we're honest, we find in ourselves this desire to serve the Lord like he wants us to, and we struggle with the unwillingness part of us too. We realize that both exist within us. That I'm willing, but help my unwillingness also could be our prayer. I think part of this willingness that we could pray for too is, Lord, lead me to somebody else who is willing. <laughs> Lord, help me find another person who's willing because everybody doesn't want to do this. One of the things I've been involved in for several months now um, through a Zoom call and, and some other activities that I've been involved with, I felt the Lord really kind of lay on my heart to understand Uh, racial unity within our culture and within our church and just kind of uh, address that and so I've been involved in this thing called a racial cohort it's just it's a group of pastors uh, African-American pastors and white pastors and we're just kind of from a biblical man-to-man pastor-to-pastor love for one another Christian-to-Christian talking about racial unity within culture and within the church and hopefully how the church can help advance that within culture and so forth one of the things that uh kind of the facilitator of our group says quite often is everybody doesn't want to do this everybody's not engaged in this and that's okay there's some people that's got other things on their radar and that's what they need to be engaged in and there's some people that got something else on their radar and that's what they need to be engaged in this is what's on my radar and this is where i'm willing to to invest my time and my energy and what we need to realize is when it comes to following christ everybody's not there everybody's not willing yet Everybody is not wanting to hear about it. And so part of our prayer is in the same time I'm praying for my willingness, I'm praying for, now help that disciple you want me to, to follow also be willing. Lead me to somebody else who is like, I, I want to engage in that. I, I want to talk about that. I, I, I'll listen to what you have to say. I, I'll work on this and lead us to someone else who is willing. The second thing we can pray for is that leading. We notice in Matthew chapter 4, while he was walking by the sea, he saw the two brothers who were called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and they were casting nets in the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Now, remember the process of disciple making in first century. Once the boy who was 17 had passed all his other things, he would find a rabbi and then he would go and he would sit at the rabbi's feet, basically asking the rabbi, can I be your disciple? 
And so it was always, the, the request always came from the student to the rabbi, will you let me? And then the rabbi would give him those tests, you know, he'd grill him and see if he would, you know, pass muster. And if he did that, then the rabbi said, okay, I will grant your request. But in Jesus, it's flip-flopped. Jesus goes to the students and asks them, will you follow me? Jesus is the one who calls us. Jesus reminds uh, that so what we need to understand is that Jesus chooses us we don't necessarily go choose him that that there's a leading of the spirit that Jesus is working in people that the Holy Spirit is working in people and our task as much as anything is to be led to those whom he would have us to disciple that there, he's already kind of working before us, and we're just trying to catch up and join him. It's interesting, in John's Gospel, the 15th chapter, the night of the Last Supper, Jesus has, reminds his disciples of this very thing. In John 15, 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. In that Last Supper room, he's saying, you know, y'all didn't come to me. I came to you. I chose you. I appointed you to go. And so I think that same calling, that same choosing is on us. That God chose you. If you're a disciple, if you're a follower, God came to you and said, will you follow me? And, and those of us who are disciples who are born again responded to that calling. <laughs> yes, I will. And all I'm saying today is that I think we should also respond to the appointment. We responded already to the calling. I called you and I appointed you to go. And in the same way we responded to the calling, we need to now respond to the appointment. That if you've been chosen by God to be his disciple, if you've responded to that calling, you should also respond to the appointment to go. That this is what he wants us to do. That he's working in people's lives and he's sending us to be part of their lives. And so we pray, Lord, lead me to where you're already working. Lead me to someone whom you're calling so that maybe I can help get them to respond to the calling you put on your lives. Help me see where you're working, who you're calling, and encourage their response. This is what we pray for. Some quick kind of uh, ways to maybe notice people where God's working. I, I kind of give you some hints to think about. Because as you respond to this yourself, as you look for this appointment, you got to say, well, what am I looking for? Well, what we call, I, I prayed this prayer, it's a, probably a preachy term, a preacher term, season of the soul. <laughs> that things happen in people's lives that make them a little bit more susceptible to spiritual things. When someone dies, they're a little bit more questioning about those things. That it's a season that, that their soul is particularly kind of open for discussion about spiritual things. When someone's born, they will be very open to talking about spiritual things because they're thinking about this new life and, and what that holds. 
when major upheaval happens in somebody, change of a job, even moving from one place to another place, that these, these big life movements for a time, it doesn't last for, forever, but for a time, for a season, their soul is kind of open, questioning the bigger questions of life, what life's about. What is, is there life beyond the grave? Is there life before the grave? And all those questions come up. And so if you know somebody who's in one of these seasons and Coincidentally enough, in the season in which we now live, there seems to be a lot of people in the sea. This whole time might be considered a season of the soul. People with questions. If you just run into people randomly and they say, and they start asking questions, especially spiritually one, that might be God leading you to someone to have a spiritual conversation like somebody you work with, somebody, your family member, they just out of the blue, like, well, you're a churchgoer. You, you read the Bible. What about da-da-da-da-da? That could be an open door to show God's working in somebody's life. People in your path, just what you run into, and, and, and especially people on your heart. Like when you start to do this praying and you start to think about somebody and you think about somebody and you think about somebody, you're kind of like, well, maybe God's saying, here's where I'm working. Why don't you come on over and help out? Have you ever considered... You know, that God is just trying to get your attention when you run into and bump into and have these encounters with people, that this is where God is showing you, here's where I'm working, here's where I'm sending you, here's where I want you to go, here's where I appointed you to go, and then respond appropriately. These are two movies, Hacksaw Ridge and War Room. They may appear to be very different in in their movie, but I found a very interesting connection between these two movies, other than they're about war, kind of. The hero in both these movies pray a very similar prayer. At the end of the war room, um, after the lady has helped the young girl out and her family has gotten on track and they've kind of committed their life to Christ, she, it, the, the movie closes with her going to her prayer closet and saying, God, you've done it again. Will you send me one more? Will you send me one more that I can disciple and make a, make a, a Christian and make a follower of you? In a different kind of way, the hero of Hacksaw Ridge, after he rescues one person on the battlefield, he runs back and lets them down that cliff. And in his own personal interview, he said, every time he let one down, he'd say, God, give me one more. And he'd run back out in the battlefield and find one more. And he'd come back, God, give me one more. They both, both these movies about Christian lives, one a true story, one a fictional story. They both, the heroes, pray the same prayer. God, just give me one more. May we be so brave to say, God, lead me to one. I'm almost, I'm convinced That if this is what God has appointed us for, if this is what God desires, if God is at work in people's lives and we start to pray like these great heroes of these movies prayed, God, just lead me to one more, lead me to one, certainly the God who desires that and appointed us for that will answer that prayer. That's what we should be praying for. Another thing we can pray for is nearness. we got to realize that our, our primary calling is to be with Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. His invitation was very simple to the disciples. Come be with me. Come be with me. 
One of the things we get hung up on when it comes to making disciples is the first question I'm usually asked when I talk about this. Well, the first excuse I hear is I'm not qualified. And then once we get over that hurdle, the next question is, well, what program am I going to use? What material do I need to learn? <laughs> and we, gotta, we, we make it much bigger than it's supposed to be. The primary goal is to be with Jesus, is nearness to Jesus himself. Here, here's the truth. If you know one thing about Jesus, you've got one thing to share about Jesus. And then when you learn a second thing about Jesus, now you got two things to share about Jesus. And what we really need to focus on and share is Jesus. Learn about him. Know him. Keep your disciple. Keep yourself close to Jesus. Follow him. And so I... I learned, we, as you know, we've been doing education at home and been having to remind myself of all the things I learned in grade school so that I can reuse them now. Um, I guess I use them every day and don't think about it, but I, I've been trying to remind myself how I learned the things I learned. One of the things that stuck with me from grade school is how to identify a preposition. And this, and, and I think it's because my teacher used a kind of a word imagery and it stuck in my head because it's, I see it as a picture. She told me, anything a plane can do to two clouds, that's a preposition. So a plane can fly into a cloud, it can fly out of a cloud, it can fly through a cloud, under a cloud, over a cloud, around a cloud. Anything a plane, to, a plane can do to two clouds, that's a preposition. That's what we need to do to Jesus. We need to be in Jesus, out of Jesus, around Jesus, through Jesus, under Jesus, above Jesus. Any preposition you can cut, we need to be of Jesus, about Jesus, because a plane can fly about the clouds. All those words, that's what we need to be. We, Jesus needs to be, we need to be a preposition for Jesus in every way of our life. That it's all about Him. We don't need programs. We don't need, we just need Jesus that's enough. Psalm 27, 4 says, one thing I've asked of the Lord. Here's a one. Here's another one for 2021. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. The one thing I'm going to seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. The psalmist says, this is all I need to be with the Lord. Jesus said, come follow me. Be with me. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is a verse, this is one of those popular verses you can get in on a little sign and hang it in your bathroom or in your kitchen because it's really popular and sounds great from the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not the evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a great tagline, hashtag that. It explains what that plan is in the next couple of verses. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The great plan God has for people for their welfare is to find him. That's the plan. Come find me. And you, if you seek me, you'll find me. And this is the great benefit of your life. We remind ourselves again in Luke chapter 10, verse 42, we see a picture of another disciple. 
story of Mary and Martha. You know, Jesus comes to visit them, and, and Mary gets busy about doing all the right things, and Martha kind of sits down and doesn't do anything, and sister's a little upset with her. Listen how the Lord responded to her. Martha, Martha, are you anxious and troubled about many things? But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary, I flipped it around, Mary is the one who sits down at Jesus' feet. She makes herself a disciple. That while Jesus is here, it's all about him and not about all this other activity that we sometimes make it about in church. And so I think one of the things we can pray is, Lord, let me just be near to you. Lord, teach me. And if you're praying for the person that you might be discipling, teach us about you. Lord, reveal yourself to us. Lord, be near. Because what Jesus tells Martha is that Mary has chosen a good portion to sit there at his feet. That this is where we should be. So I want to invite you, if you would, take your cup. Jesus was so kind to us, and the Lord in His wisdom gave us a constant reminder of His presence. And that nearness to Him was really what the disciple life was all about. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is what we're to do. In, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it tells us to, to do this. As often as we do this, what? In remembrance of Him. That we should never forget what it's all about. Jesus. For, the, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Jesus is the reason we're disciples. And anyone we want to help disciple needs to know mostly about Jesus. And anything we know about him, we have to share. And so as we pray, Lord, just be near to me. Reveal yourself. Show myself. Help me remember always you. Organizations have what's called target drift. <laughs> where they set out for one goal, and then over time they kind of move. Churches do the same thing. And keeping Jesus central to our message is the way of making disciples. One more thing we can pray for. 
courage. We see as Jesus calls the two brothers and, and later on John and James that they have to leave what's familiar. They have to strike out um, to leave their father. And what we must understand that there is a cost involved with being a disciple. That there is something to pay and it's going to take courage. Uh, they, the, their boat for James and John, the boat represented their career. Their father represented a significant relationship. That there is for us of those of us who will serve the one this year by discipling one, we will have to have the courage to leave our comfort zone. We will have to have the courage to risk relationships, to risk rejection, and to even risk our reputation. Oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks, as uh, some may react to us. It will also take courage for our disciple, those who would, or the person that we would help disciple. It would take courage for them to strike out, to trust us, to have faith in us, to, to, put, to, to give us a window and, and a voice into, their, into the care of their very soul. And so as we think about this process, and, and I know I've talked to enough people over the years, I've been uh, in enough conferences about evangelism to know that there are a lot of people afraid when it comes to this idea of making another disciple. And so courage is one of the things that we're going to need a lot of. And so we need to pray, help me make the sacrifices necessary to disciple one for the one. We're going to have to pray, God, give me courage to, to strike out and do something I've never done. Give me courage to go where I'm uncomfortable. Give me courage to speak when I'd much prefer to be quiet. Give me courage to stand when I'd much rather sit. Give me courage to, to publicly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in an age that is becoming increasingly, increasingly anti-Jesus Christ. Help me stand in the public square. Help me stand in people's lives and boldly proclaim Jesus as the Savior of the world. Matthew chapter 19 tells us that Peter said, when we left, one of the things that helps us, excuse me, one of the things that helps us have this courage, and one other thing we can pray is, is to convince me of the value of making one. When we become convinced that the value of what we do is more important than the cost that it costs us, when the value of what we receive is greater than the cost we have to pay, then we find within ourselves the courage to do it. In Matthew's gospel, the 19th chapter, Jesus is, uh, Peter is talking to Jesus. He says, see, we left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who are, have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, now this is to us, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for My name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus makes a promise to his followers for those who sacrifice everything in this life that there's a reward coming that is beyond compare to what we've paid. Matthew 13 says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who searches for fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had so that he might buy it. And so one of the things we have to be convinced is that the serving the one by discipling the one 
is a greater reward than the cost it will require us to make. Jim Elliott, one of the famous missionaries who flew into the Amazon jungle, who would be speared to death before he ever led one Amazonian to Christ, said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he can't hold on to to obtain that which he will never lose. So we have to convince ourselves and pray, Lord, help me be convinced that serving the one is more important and more worthy than the sacrifices I must make to serve the one by discipling one. And the final thing that we're going to pray for, pray for them. We're going to talk a little bit more about this verse next week, uh, or this phrase next week. But he says, he calls them and says, I will make you fishers of men. When it comes to the reproduction, when it comes to making disciples, I think sometimes we look at this process a little incorrectly. That we think about ourselves. We think about our cost. We think about our uncomfortableness. We think about our unworthiness, our inability. We think about, we, we tend to focus on us and not realize it's really not about us, but it's about them. That we need to pray for them. We don't need to pray for success, help me have success, because a lot of churches have started to make, well, if, how many people have you discipled? How many people have you led to the Lord? That's some kind of success marker for us as Christians. It's not about our accomplishments. You know, I, I used to have a person who kept a running count. I have led X number of people to Christ. Good for you. Guess what? It's not about you. It's about them. And so we need to pray for them that the salvation of a lost soul, the opportunity to partner with God in making another disciple is nothing about us, but it's all about them, that person's relationship with Jesus. And when we come at it and say, Lord, help me find somebody to introduce to you so that you guys can have a relationship, we get ourselves out of the picture. And it becomes all about that one person coming to know the one true living Lord. And that needs to be our prayer. Is Lord, through all this, let it be about you. Salvation matters. It's not about us, but it is about the lost. In 1 John 1, it says this. Chapter 1, starting with verse 2. The life was made manifest. And we've seen it, and we've testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was in the Father and was made manifest to us. John's saying, here's why I'm writing this letter, that I came to know Jesus. I came to know life. I came to know eternal life that the Father sent down, that which we have been saved and heard and proclaim also to you. And here's the catchphrase, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship was with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying, the reason I'm writing this thing is I've come to know who Jesus is and so that you too will know is the only reason I'm saying anything. And so as we think about this month, as we start to consider who's your one, 
which one is God going to lead you to? As you'll pray this month at least, or start praying, praying for willingness. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm willing. Help my unwillingness. Lead me to another willing participant. Help me to be near to you and if one will come and, and help us be near to you, give me courage, give me insight that what you're asking me to do is worth everything it will cost me. Because it's really not about me in the last. In the last. It's about you and them. And I play a small part in bringing you guys together. And so I invite you to commit to praying this month for the one that God would lead you to. For the one that God would use you in bringing together with him is a great reward. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so, for those of you who want to serve the one by discipling one, let us spend the next few weeks praying, looking for God's leading and guidance to the one he wants to be his disciple. Amen.